First Timothy chapter five. I know we got what the younger widows got. Yeah, okay. Paul says, I will. That's what he wanted, his desire. Therefore, that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give not occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Now, who is the adversary? You could start with the devil, but he's not the only adversary. The adversary is everybody that is trying to tear you down because of your service to the Lord. Don't be surprised if they don't like you because you take a stand for the Lord. That's not a surprising thing. Jesus warned us about that over and over again. And so we have adversaries. And so the best thing we can do to shut their mouths is by well doing. That's like the young mothers guide the house. Give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. That means we need to be careful about what we, what kind of a, an attitude and a face that we uh, put on for the world. Not being a hypocrite, but we need to behave ourselves according to a child of God. For some are already turned aside after Satan. Now, how is that true if he's in if he's in chains? He is not in change. He's not changed and bound. He will be after chapter 20 of Revelation. <clears throat> Some of the, talking about that uh, this week, about how bad we are because we interpret the Bible literally. Well, verse 16. If any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them, relieve, let them relieve them. And let not the church be charged that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. If you've got somebody in your family that needs to be supported, support them. Don't expect the church to do it. If, you know, we, we don't have that much money. But if, You've got somebody, if there's somebody there, they don't have anybody, then the church needs to relieve them. Verse 17. Let the elders, again, pastor, bishop, and elder. Let the elders that rule well. I don't think that necessarily calls for multiple elders in one church. I think you're talking about elders in all the churches. But let the elders that rule well do a good job of pastoring. Be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. Well, I believe that uh, ruling well has a lot to do with the word and doctrine that's being dealt with. I notice where a pastor uh died in his obituaries today. And this is one that uh, he was pastor at uh, Porter years ago. And uh, 
I called him. We had a family that was going to go out there because, well, it's a big, long story, because the daughter-in-law didn't like my preaching. And the grandparents had the children, the grandchildren, and the daughter-in-law said they couldn't bring her, bring the children out here. They could take them to a porter, but they couldn't go here because she hated what I preached. Well, I didn't even really know her. She'd only heard me one time or listened to tapes or something. Uh, well, why? Do y'all know any heresy that I preach? Anyway, but I called that pastor to talk to him. Well, Porter is the church that uh, J.W. Porter, the namesake of that church, which I'm not, I'm not a fan of naming the church after a man, no, any man. And I wouldn't have done that. But J.W. Porter, was a, he was a sound Baptist. We've got some books that he wrote. And anyway, it was J.W. Porter, uh, along with Clarence Walker at Ashton Avenue, that uh, were responsible for getting the trail of blood uh, written and printed and distributed. So anyway, I called that pastor up. I'm going to see if I could grant a, we could grant a letter to him. I knew we couldn't. But I thought I'd call him just so somebody said, well, you didn't even call him. Yes, I did. I, I didn't have to. I knew what it was. I knew, had no, no, no surprises there at all. And I uh, talked to him, told him who I was, and talking to him about what they believed and practiced out there. And I, I said, uh, do you ever do you know anything about the trail of blood? Oh yeah, I, I've known about that. I said, uh, you know that uh, J.W. Porter's one responsible for getting that printed. Well, I didn't know that, but how, how do you not know that? Anyway, he said, uh, uh, "Well, you know that thing's full of mistakes." I said, "Really?" I said, "I teach that thing all over." And if you've got mistakes in there that I don't know about, you need to tell me. Uh, can you give me one of them? You well, the whole thing's a mistake. Really? You ought to be able to give me one mistake, couldn't you? Well, I, I'm not that familiar with it. I said, then you ought not to shoot your mouth off about something you don't know what you're talking about. And I said exactly those words. Of course, he's a big preacher, big congregation, a lot of money. But, and, I'm, and I'm not, you know, I'm, uh, but anyway... I, like I care, <laughs> you know who he is. And uh, I could not find one doctrine that we were in agreement on. Wow. Not one. Uh, he passed away. And they're talking about what a great pastor he was. Really? They don't know what a great pastor is. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. Now, what is that talking about? Probably it's talking about money and respect of the office. That's probably where the double is. Somebody says, oh, I think what you need to do is find out the average pay in the, ch- in the church and, and double it. And that's what you need to pay. <laughs> anyway, church pays the pastor what they what they can afford to pay him. And there are not many of them are going to make you rich. I'll guarantee you that. 
I don't know many, I don't know any sound Baptist preachers that have ever been made rich in the ministry. You all know of one? I'm not talking about the Joel Osteens and, the, and that ilk. They all get filthy rich. The Ken Copeland and all that uh, multimillionaires owning airports as well as multiple planes and all that. I'm not talking about that bunch. They're a bunch of heretics. I'm talking about preachers that labor in the word and doctrine. I don't know of any that have ever been made rich. Anyway, that's not a real big concern for most churches, sound churches. For the scripture, this verse 18 proves that it's, that it's somewhat money anyway, not half of it anyway. For the scripture saith, I'm looking back at Deuteronomy 25, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. Amen. So that proves that at least some of that, half of that, if not all of it, is talking about taking care of the pastor, money-wise. Another thought here. Now this is in the New Testament. We all understand that, don't we? And uh, we all understand that we're under grace, not under law. We all understand that. But what we need to understand is we never have been under law. Not to be saved by it. Been condemned by it, but never saved by it. Nobody. And uh, salvation has been by grace ever since the Garden of Eden. We sang of our Redeemer. Adam and Eve could sing about their Redeemer. And they saw their Redeemer in a picture when God killed, I think it was the sheep, and made skins for their covering. And they took them by faith. Anyway. What in the world is the Apostle Paul doing in New Testament times? And this is probably written after Galatians when he said we're not under law but under grace, you know. What's he doing referring to Old Testament law? He is, isn't he? For the scripture said. He's saying the Bible says it. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Uh, the laborer is worthy of his hire. Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn. Well, an ox that treading out the corn. He's uh, got a like a a grinding wheel. You know how they do up in Menifee County? Got the mules and and the grinding wheels, and the grinding sorghum molasses. It's something to watch. Well, that's how they do use wheat, uh, barley, and rye, and all that. So the ox is treading out the corn. You got to let him eat a little bit of it. You working somebody? They got a right to take some of what they're working to eat. And anyway, verse 19, against an elder, that would be a pastor, received not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Didn't say you can't ever accuse an elder. You just can't do it by yourself. 
It's got to be by two or three witnesses. Nobody is above reproach. The dude in Washington ought not to be above reproach, but unless some Republicans get some backbone about him, he'll get away with all of everything he's doing. Turn our country over to the Chinese communists, which is what he just did with that balloon, with that spy balloon. And he's lying. He's saying he's not responsible for anything going on here. That was Donald Trump. No, Donald Trump had it in order. Donald Trump had it all in order. People didn't vote for Donald Trump because he, little salty words. Idiots. Sheer idiots. Look at what the man does. Look at what he's done. Uh, Inflation, price of oil, the economy, and all that. Anyway, against an elder received not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. It can be done, but it needs to be done in a respectful, proper, scriptural way. And that's how it's done. Uh, Got no right to let a pastor, if a pastor is guilty of something, that he ought not to be. The church has got not only the right, they've got the obligation to either get him straightened out or get rid of him. You can't let him just do anything or everything. But it must be done in the proper way. Then he says, Them that sin rebuke before all that others also may fear. Brother Brown used to say, Them that fear, uh, them that sin before all rebuke before all. If a pastor has somebody comes to him and has a problem, private problem, they're not doing something that's church business, he doesn't need to. Announce it from the pulpit. But if someone sins before all, they need to be rebuked before all. That needs to happen. And I've got it in in that track that I wrote on church discipline. This is one of the major parts. You do not relegate church discipline to a back room someplace with a committee. Either a deacon board or a committee. But you'd be surprised how many churches do that. They all know we can't bring it out before a congregation. Let me tell you what. We love visitors. We love to have visitors. But this church does not meet for visitors. This church meets for the assembly of the Lord. The church members that they might be instructed and encouraged. And exhorted to continue on Amen. in the Lord's word. So, uh, if somebody sins, for example, Paul talked about in First Corinthians five, that man that had his father's wife. Now, hopefully, that was his stepmother. I can't imagine it being his real mother. But then, at rate, it was his father's wife, and the church hadn't done anything about it. But now, Paul. Rebuked the whole church over that. That was a church problem. I've heard pastors say, oh, somebody got out of the way. I had to exclude them. Did you exclude them? Oh, you know what I mean? I said, you better say what you mean. If you excluded them, you committed heresy. You have no authority to exclude anybody. That's church business. 
Paul said, when ye come together. That's in that track there too. You don't do it by committee. Uh, one fellow that put out a lot of stuff at his church, he's dead now. He had told me he wanted to, wanted to print my track until he read it. And you know what I found out when I was out there? You know how he did church discipline in his church? His deacons back in the back room, a closed door meeting. Well, we, didn't, we don't want to discourage lost people. Do what? Anyway, that's why, I, that's why I didn't print my track. Anyway, Paul says in verse 21, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels. And that word's eclectos, it's elect angels. That thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. Now, Luke and Matthew both, it talks about the holy angels of God and being before them and all that. I do not, I'm not an expert on angels. I know there's an order of angels. You've got Michael and so on. Uh, a couple of them named. Gabriel and Michael, uh, and there, and then the elect angels. I don't know. These are created beings that do the will of God. All right, so that's, that's about all I can tell you. But he says, observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about rebuking. Uh, I started this a long time ago. I haven't had any problem with it, but we were having a problem with it. In the Old Testament, in uh, Deuteronomy 24, yeah, I think it is, or it's 23, where the had the son that was rebellious, And uh, had to bring him before the elders. After they had chastened him many times. They brought him before the elders and he was stoned to death. But then you also got another consideration there. In Leviticus you find out. If you testify against a man for murder. Or rape, and he's guilty. And he's going to die the death. Those that testified, two or three witnesses, they cast the first stone. And that's the way it ought to be. You can't just do that and skate out of it. But... In churches that are having troubles with this, that haven't been taught it, my son may need to be excluded. And somebody else brings him up. My son must be excluded, and Randy brings him up to be excluded. Now, you know what generally happens as a result of that? 
there's a feud starts between me and you. You brought my son up. That's not the right thing to do. You shouldn't have to get into my dirty work. My son is my dirty work. If my son or daughter needs to be excluded, I'm going to be the one that brings them up. I'll not leave that for somebody else to do. But a lot of people do that. And that's the, that's the beginnings of big splits in churches. Knock down, down drag out fights. So I believe if it's, if it's your child, you got to bring them up. And I think I've got scripture justification for that. So <clears throat> do these things without partiality. Just because it's your child doesn't mean that they need to be let go. Forget about it. Oh, it's my child. Your child ain't no better than nobody else's child. A lot, most people. Oh, my son, he might have he murdered 20 women his own death row, but I still love him. What kind of a perverted love is that? You ought to take sides with God. Amen. That's taking sides against God. That doesn't, that doesn't thrill my soul to hear that. Anyway, I'm sure it doesn't hear, thrill God either. Verse 1 and 2. Lay hands suddenly on no man. That's in ordination. Neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. We're learning how to behave ourselves in the house of God. Lay hands suddenly on no man. Ah, back in chapter 3, doesn't it say about the deacons? Let them first be proved. And I believe the pastors, missionary pastor, they need to first be proved. I can tell you one that got, that got sent out way before he should have. And there were a lot of problems uh, developed because of that. Man needs, man, I don't care how good a man he is. You've got to grow to a certain position in the service of the Lord before you're sent out on your own. That's just plain and simple. I told you about down the road there, the church that we evidently split out of, Durban. The pastor at that time called me. He, had, he knew me from Lexington Baptist College. I, he went there before I did. Uh, but anyway, he called me up and said, Brother Gump said I wanted to invite you to an or, a deacon ordination at my church. I said, well, yeah, he said, we're going to ordain 35. That wasn't much bigger than I'm, uh, in my, our church. I said, brother, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I'd say there ain't 35 qualified deacons in the city of Lexington, let alone in your church. Of course, I, our, our friendship started and stopped right there, you know. Well, why shouldn't I have been honest with you? <laughs> anyway, uh, I wasn't about to go to ordination like that. Anyway, keep thyself pure. That means pure from other men's sins. Amen. Somebody, you ordain, you ordain a novice, and he goes out and gets into heresy. Or does something else because he doesn't know what he's doing. There you've done laid hands on him. 
You're, part, you're partaker of his sins. Keep thyself pure. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake, and thine often infirmities. All right, somebody said, well, that's medicinal wine, alcoholic wine. Well, let's just think about this. For thy stomach's sake. What is the first thing that comes to your mind? Somebody having stomach problems. Huh? Ulcers. Ulcers. Have you ever seen a diet list? Ulcer diet? The first thing on that list is no alcohol. Alcohol can kill you with stomach ulcers. Now that's not the only stomach problem. But it is by and large one of the most frequent stomach problems. So I know that he's not talking about fermented wine for ulcers. And I don't know what other. But now do you know what is a perfect Solution, medicine for ulcers. Pure grape juice. It is. It's as good as goat's milk. Maybe better. So my opinion, I get back to this, that wine is a generic term and the context determines it. So I say that's what he's talking about. Oh, are you crazy? You're crazy. Well, just think about what I've said. I mean, you know, I think I've given some pretty good reasons for it. I am just shooting from the hip. I think you got some thought behind this. So, then he says, now, keep yourself pure. But some men's sins are open beforehand. <laughs> Your reputation precedes you, buddy. <clears throat> Going before to judgment. And some men, they follow after some men can keep it under wraps for a while, but then it comes on after them. It reveals itself. And likewise, also, the good, the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. So somebody that does good works, sometimes that, that gets out on them. And then it finally cannot be hid. It, come, it comes out. Uh, Something happened the other day, and I told Beverly, I said, see, that bread you cast on the waters, now it's coming back to you. You can't hide those good words. Did I do that? Okay. Uh, you can't hide good works. But you also can't hide, hide bad works. They'll either get there before you or follow up right close behind you. And that's why you need to let people be proven before you jump off the deep end with them. See who you've got. That's why girls need to know what kind of a boy they got. Boys need to know what kind of girl they got. Don't jump off the deep end. See what they are. Well, I missed absolutely. You've got one life. Take care of it. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. That the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Now, nobody wants you to expound that verse. 
Nobody in the world today wants you to expound this verse. But I'm going to. Let as many doulois, plural of the word doulos, slave. Well, that might just mean boss. Well, let's leave it. see here. Let as many slaves as are under the yoke, yoke of bondage, yoke of slavery, cap their own despotes. <laughs> Master. Slave owner. And that's the word. So if you were a slave, and there were slaves aplenty during these days. Uh, the, the book of Philemon. He was a runaway slave. They didn't... They didn't, Paul didn't ship him to the Underground Railroad. He encouraged him to do the right thing. He said, oh, you're, you're just fine. I ain't done nothing. I'm just reading you what God says in his word. And if you don't like what God says, take it up with him. Now, I'm sure you don't like me saying it. That's just like you don't like me saying that all these reparations that they're getting ready to do for the blacks because of slavery here in the United States. How about, how about the blacks paying, paying uh, reparations to the Jews? Because those African Egyptians had, had God's people, the Jews, in hard bondage for 400 years. Much longer than they were in slavery here. About 150 years here. 1700s up to 18, middle 1800s. So what's God say here? If you're a slave, be a good slave. In order that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. You say you're a Christian, look what you're doing. Anybody ever read the book, Uncle Tom's Cabin? Best I can determine it, that the setting of that book was over in Bourbon County. Uncle Tom was a slave on a tobacco farm in Bourbon County. And he learned how to read. He was saved. He learned how to read so he could read the Bible. And he began reading the Bible to all of his friends, brothers, and sisters. And he was the best slave his owner had. So trustworthy was he that he would send him across the river 
to Cincinnati to conduct his business and bring his money back to him. He trusted him for every penny. Uncle Tom was a super Christian, a believer, a follower of the Lamb. And most of these black preachers, they use Uncle Tom as a cuss word. They ought to be telling their people to follow after Uncle Tom's example. Oh, oh you're wrong. No, no. Anybody argued that's they're wrong. That's what the Bible says. And I don't care what they say. Anyway. You remember they had used to run plays, old movies of Uncle Tom. And there was that uh, the little uh, little woman on that ice flow in the Cincinnati River. Wasn't no bridges then, they had to get across by ferry boat. Anyway. I don't want to be a slave, and I don't want to own slaves. But that was the situation that was there. And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren. If they're a believing master. Now, if he's not a believer, you've got other problems. But rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved Partakers of the benefit these things teach and exhort. He didn't say put them on the underground railroad. That's what the Bible teaches. Verse 3, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, that's healthy words, sound words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. Now if you go against that, here here you are. You're proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions, strifes of words whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men, of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is gotten from such, withdraw thyself. Paul said the best thing to do is to teach what he's teaching, and he got it from the Lord. And that's the doctrine of the Lord. Now, I don't want to be a slave. I wouldn't own a slave. I I don't want that much responsibility for another human being. Not at all. Uh, but I'm going to tell you what the Bible says and it said this back in 1861 when the Civil War started and I say that's not the worst thing this country's ever done slavery I'm glad it's gone You know the worst thing this country has ever done? Is leave and turn enemy to the God that brought us here. That's the worst thing that's ever been done. And they're still doing it right now. 
but it won't last forever. We do believe how the book ends up. Amen. Yep. Verse 6. If the psychiatrist and counselors of this world could effect this, they'd make much money. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Be content. Be godly. And you can only be godly if you're content. Because we brought nothing into this world. I saw that picture of that little baby. Little four pound baby. Naked as a jaybird. That little baby didn't bring a thing in this world, did it? And you might have clothes on him when he goes out, hopefully, 80, 90 years from now, whenever. But he's still going to go out just as naked as he came in. We ain't taking nothing out of this world. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. All these guys worry about their legacy. They worry about their fortunes. What are you going to do with your fortune? You're going to leave it to your kids? You're going to leave it or, or going to leave it to the state? If you don't have a will, the state's going to get it. Who are you going to leave it to? You're going to leave it to somebody that's going to use that money and promote the work of the devil? If you're not promoting the work of the Lord, you're promoting the work of the devil. That's true. Amen, Brother Gum. Yep. Amen. Verse 8. And having food and raiment, that's clothing, let us be there with content. It shouldn't take all of the bells and whistles and all of the toys to make us content. We ought to start being content having food and raiment. And that didn't even say the best food. You got something to eat? Well, David, was that just you, you saying just you could tell somebody to live through the depression? Because they knew what it was to go without. <laughs> yeah, the depression, then the Second World War, they knew what gas rations were. They knew what food rations were. You didn't go to the store. You had the money to go buy anything you want to. You had a limit. You buy one stick of butter or whatever. I don't remember. I was too, too young to know all that in the Second World War. I wasn't here for the depression. But I know people lived through the depression and they had hard times. A bowl of soup was real good. And this much today think they've got to have everything because they've been raised like that. They've got to have everything. But God says having food and raiment, let us be there with content. I'm going to quit there.